May it please the court. Um, this section 1983 case uh, is centered upon the arrest and charging of then 73-year-old criminal defense attorney Henry H. Howe uh, based on supposed probable cause drawn solely and exclusively from information which was provided by a single witness. A gentleman by the name of Stephen Harold Anderson. Uh, I'll get into that in a bit, and I don't have a lot of time, but I'd like to focus on one bright line error that the district court made, which we maintain warrants reversal in and of itself. I'm going to direct the court's attention to pages 9 and 10 of the slip opinion uh, of the district court uh, granting uh, summary judgment uh, in favor of the defendants. In numbered paragraph 17 of the order on page 9, um, the court states that, uh, makes a finding of fact that there was a background check done on Mr. Anderson. Mr. Anderson just Wait, put... He submitted a personal history report. A personal history report uh, is, is uh, right here, Your Honor. I'll show it to you. Oh, wait a minute. I want to... I wanna... It's... Let, me tell you where, let me tell you where I'm starting in this case. Sure. Uh, which, because you won't agree with it, but you can question it or deal with it. What was not, what was not known by anyone and wouldn't have been known in a triple I report is, in my view, controlling, Hartman is controlling unless the Hartman opinion said we have searched for and been unable to find a favorable opinion, uh, opinion the other way. You then just say Hartman is wrong. Have you found the case? Don't listen to me. Wait till the question. Have you sure. found the case in your favor that we said we couldn't find in Hartman? Yes or no? Uh, Your Honor, uh, we do cite cases in our briefing. They don't. Uh, uh, yeah. you, didn't, you didn't find a case that we were looking for in Hartman. Uh, Your Honor, that's a 2-1 panel decision. We understand. It's controlling. Your Honor, uh, Hartman basically says this. Wait, would you, I was just telling you where I was going. You, sure. You're telling me that Hartman is controlling. All right, then, no. we go, then we go to what was known by Glaze or within her ability to know that was in the record. There was no triple I report, as I understand it, except there's some, well, maybe they had it, but there's no evidence there was. So all they had was, as far as we know, the personal history report. So your citing of very general and un, and un, in, in easily distinguishable cases for the duty to, to look further depends upon the duty to look for further when a confidential informant submits a personal history report and discloses, to no one's surprise with, in this universe, that he or she had a criminal history. So that's why, to me, you are pushing a very large rock up a very steep hill. Uh, Your Honor, I'm aware of the uh, realities of uh, this court and uh, decisional law. I want to just say this. 
the district court said, made as a matter of fact, a finding that there had been a background check. There was none. The court, and, and where the court refers to this is on page uh, 10 of its decision. It says that because there was an FBI number, and by the... It appears that the task force may have run a TEPLI report. Right. That's and, not evidence. Well, what that is, is, is a construction of the evidence against us. This is a summary judgment motion. And, and I, I, I don't understand. You've you got to have evidence as the non-moving party for, that, that refutes the, the Hartman analysis with actual things that were in there. Hartman really didn't change anything in the jurisprudence of this no, district. I didn't think so. Well, You're trying to change Hartman. You're arguing it's wrong. <laughs> Not saying it's wrong, Your Honor. Uh, Hartman certainly, and because of U.S. Supreme Court precedent, Hartman can't possibly say that um, uh, that uh, if there is a reason to question evidence, either the credibility of the affiant or the provider or the CI, or the nature of the information itself, then th 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 this with isn't all, about all, going. With all due respect, you today and in your brief are arguing. A direct, a direct appeal from the denial of a Franks hearing. That was your First Circuit case, Tangeray, or however you pronounce it. This is a 1983 where either no Franks hearing was requested or none was held. It was done in state court. We don't, we don't know why the argument wasn't presented to the state court in a timely fashion. But the record is a void. Well, I, I want to tell the court, just to make sure the court understands the state court record. The day before the preliminary hearing was to occur, the case was dismissed by motion of the prosecution. Uh, there never was a criminal proceeding in reality past the point of a uh, scheduling of a, uh, uh, of a preliminary hearing. How do we even get into a Frank's argument? Your Honor, the standard and the case law is, is interchangeable. When we're talking about... Give, give, give me a 1983 case that says, well, we're, we're, we're looking at this as though we were taking an appeal from the denial of a Franks hearing. We cite them in our briefs. We cite them in our briefs, both in our uh, main brief and in our reply brief. Okay. Uh, tell, the, tell me now, either, because I don't, that isn't... I've never seen it. I've never seen a 1983 posing this question. So, who are we? What cases are we talking about? Your Honor, uh, I can I can submit them in a 28J filing after this argument. I can tell you that uh, in in both our main brief and in our reply brief, uh, we cite cases that are both Frank's cases, well, that are 1983 cases using the Frank's. Analysis. So to, to say that there's somehow different standard, I respectfully submit, is not you correct. You a lot of district courts from outside the circuit. What, what circuit court has ever looked at this question? Uh, First circuit didn't have this question. They had, they had an appeal from... Oh, that, sure. It was a, it, the, the issue was, uh, and it was a, a Frank's hearing in that case that was involved. Well, they, they remanded for further... Well, they did. 
In this case, Your Honor, there were genuine issues of material fact relative to the question of whether the defendants should have, uh, well, the, the red flag went up when this guy raises all these Rule 609 convictions. These are convictions of a type. And by the way, wait, if one compares uh, his... Wait, wait, that's the Hartman. That's, that's the stuff that Hartman would control, right? Hartman doesn't say really what this is about. You know his criminal history. I don't. But I think the 609s were what came up after this arrest. The, the, the no. contriving to, you know. No. That's, and, and by the way, the guy made up the same story twice before. Yeah, uh, that uh, the, the defense lawyer in other cases was, was conspiring to murder an, an informant. That's what I meant. Well, and, and what's that's the relevance the of that? That's what's the, the relevance of that here? No, no, that's the Hartman. That's, that's we're not going to. What I'm trying to. What I'm tr- that's an in-bank argument. Well, yeah, it may be. Uh, but I'm entitled to make that record. The bottom line, this was a, Hartman was a 2-1 decision. You're preserve an issue for the in-bank court. I am, and, and the Supreme to, Court. You're Absolutely. You're time this morning to argue that Hartman is wrong. I'm not saying Hartman is wrong, and that's what I'm trying to tell Your Honor today. You're saying Hartman didn't reach this? What I'm saying is Hartman simply said, Hartman didn't eviscerate or vacate U.S. Supreme Court case law that said if there is a reason to question the veracity of the informant or the, uh, the, the correctness or veracity of the information, then... That's part of the reasonable, the objective standard that applies. Well, well let me ask you this. You, you started by saying that, the, that this probable cause was based solely upon the unverified statements of a, co-op, of a, of a witness who uh, was of quest, questionable credibility. Um, That's putting it mildly, yeah. Um, but they did verify a number of facts. They, 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 verif- they, they, they verified that there was a plot to kill the, the, the CI. None of. Not, 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 now they may not have, you may disagree that your client was part of that plot, but they did. And in fact, they eventually uh, pled to that charge. Well, Your Honor, first of all, I, that particular charge they did not plead to, I don't believe. But the bottom line is this. None, only two paragraphs of the affidavit for the, for the, the arrest warrant affidavit involved Mr. Howe. One of which was complete completely dependent on, on uh, Mr. Anderson, and then the other was paraphrase uh, of the, of the uh, wire. But the bottom line is this. There was no corroborating information that was provided in the search warrant affidavit, in the arrest warrant affidavit, that related to Mr. Howe. It's all Mr. Anderson. And in fact, in the record, and I can point it out, uh, Ms. Ms. Glaze, uh, the affiant of the task force, admitted he was her only witness. And Mr. Gilpin said, and these are, this is in deposition testimony, Mr. Gilpin testified that um, the entire investigation began with uh, Mr. Anderson. And when you have a guy that made, and, and, and so what's the relevance of the fact that Anderson, who's facing two uh, felony theft cases at this time and wants to curry favor and make a deal and all that, 
comes up with this story, and it's the same one he had twice before that was not countenanced. But he, he ruined the man's life. He ruined the last paragraph of my main brief. I would ask that this court read it. It's, it, it was devastating to this guy. It was plastered all over media. Never was a trial. Never was even a preliminary hearing. Those officers, these defendants, weren't going to stand up at a preliminary hearing and, and parrot perjured hearsay. Thank you. I'll reserve the rest of my time. Mr. Gostad. <clears throat> May it please the court. My name is Dan Gostad. I'm here representing uh, Barbara Whalen and Delicia Glaze in this appeal. We'd ask that the court affirm, in all respects, the district court decision. Um, now, a couple. You, wait, you're. You're just arguing for Ms. Whalen? And Ms. Glaze. Okay. Well, we're not going to... Split arguments are very disfavored in this court. Understand, Your Honor. So you better cover everything. I will try my best. Um, To start with, we do believe the Hartman controls this case. Uh, The decision was was very clear. where this court said, when a detective violates a clearly established, whether does a detective... Now tell me what you think it controls. It controls the, the, uh, the information as to whether our clients, my clients, uh, Ms. Glaze was the, was the officer engaged in the investigation. Ms. Whalen was the state's attorney. Uh, it controls whether there was a duty to do any investigation and... The fact that there may have been this other information. Wait a minute. minute. Hartman didn't touch our prior cases, which say there can be a duty to do further investigation. Except that if you take a look at the case that we cited, it was Williams, uh, U.S. versus Williams at 477 F. 3rd 554, where this court said, we have held that probable cause is not defeated by a failure to inform the magistrate judge of an informant's criminal history if the informant's information is at least partly corroborated. Here, there was all kinds of corroboration that was provided uh, that, that the investigation uncovered. It did start with Mr. Anderson. He wasn't the only uh, evidence in the case. He was the only confidential informant in the case with respect to Howe and, and uh, the other co-conspirators. But we got the information on January 14th. They commenced the investigation. We enumerated at least 10 items that were corroborated from that investigation. He volunteered to wear a wire. When an informant, the credibility of an informant can be determined from a variety of ways. First of which is... Wait, wait, we know as a matter of hindsight he wasn't credible. But at the time... At least that's what the state concluded. And and I'm not sure that the state concluded that. What the state... when when, That warrant would have issued if if all of the facts about the prior makeups had been disclosed? I don't know that because at the time when the affidavit was prepared... What's your 60-40 guess? (laughs) 
I, it certainly would have, would have had an impact. However, nobody was aware of that information at the time, and that's Hartman. Right. Nobody had that information available to them. Even if you had looked at the I report that it had done on, on Mr. Anderson during the Howe criminal case, none of those things even appeared because they weren't charged out. But he, but he had a criminal history. He did. And it included crimes that, that, that are very relevant as to truthfulness under the rules of evidence. So where do I go on the record to find out exactly what Ms. Glaze and or Ms. Whalen knew about the criminal history? You look at the, and I, and I wrote that down, it, the criminal history report, it's in the uh, plaintiff's appendix 57 to 59 where uh, uh, Mr. Anderson did self-report those criminal activities. That seems to be some level of credibility when he tells us these are the criminal activities. Excuse me? Reported to whom? Reported to my client. It, it was that uh, uh, at plaintiffs 57 to 59 is the confidential informant sign-up sheet where they ask for the criminal history. Okay, but it's not, it's not an oral report in an interview. It was, it was a report that Mr. Anderson uh, provided to my okay, client. Ms., did Ms. Glaze, was she, she was deposed, I assume? Yes. Did she testify that she read that? It was her handwriting. The, the report was completed in her handwriting, and then Mr. Anderson. an interview. It was at the time when he was signed up. It's part of the process to sign up the, the confidential informant is to get this information. It's a form that the state of North Dakota has prepared for confidential informants. The other thing that, that the, Mr. Thompson said, there wasn't any background check, except that Mr. Gilpin testified, and this is at Plaintiff's uh, Appendix 92, where he said there's an FBI number on that confidential informant sheet, that tells me there was some background check that was done. We don't have record of it, of the background check that was done, but it at least is evidence that there was a background check done. What's the difference? Is there a difference between running an FBI criminal background check and a triple I? What, what exactly is this triple I report? I think a triple I report is much more detailed. Um, who, who, who provides it, or how do you get it? I've, the way I understand it is there's only a few uh, individuals within the uh, law enforcement division that can get this. Ms. Whalen testified that she's, she doesn't have access to it, but I believe the police officers would have access to this triple I report. Uh, what, I think what the, what the testimony was is that they did at least a North Dakota background check, which may not have been as detailed as the Triple uh, I report. But going back to um, the argument here is we have repeatedly said that we had, when a confidential informant, you can determine credibility and reliability based upon a number of factors, face-to-face -face meetings with the confidential informant. We had a number of them with, with Mr. Anderson. We corroborated evidence. This court has said even the most innocent of facts that are corroborated can lead to credibility and reliability. Who's testifying now? And what's documentary and what, what was in the affidavit? As far as the corroboration is concerned? What's your, yeah, well, you know, we had all of these people who talked to Anderson and we knew all of that. Well, 
you can, it may well be true, but we don't, we're, adult, we're dealing with an appellate record. And, and we're, if you take a look at the affidavit from Ms. Glaze, she outlines all of the information that had been provided. Also in the record, I don't have the exact page, but Ms. Glaze also uh, provided an affidavit that was undisputed as to the various items that were corroborated um, throughout the investigation. Uh, the other thing is, is that nowhere does Mr. Howe state that there's anything falsely stated or misstated in the affidavit. He may disagree with what Mr. Anderson told us, or may disagree with respect to Mr. Anderson's credibility, but there is nothing in the affidavit, he does point to nothing that says, gee, that was a false statement. Ms. Glaze received this information from Ms. Mr. Anderson or received this information from the investigation, and what she misstated this, it. What about this question of whether the uh, after-acquired complete transcript of the uh, January 24 meeting was different than what was in the affidavit? I don't think it is different than what's in the affidavit. I think it's, it's, it accurately depicts what was said. Because Mr. Howe said, in his words, if we get the first one to go away, it's a house of cards and everything folds up. Then the next communication discussion was about the timing as to when to get rid of this confidential informant that was a key witness in a case that he was defending. Where, where, where do I go for the page numbers in this 35-page transcript? That I, I mean, I started reading the thing. It's hopeless. Hey, you, you, you guys didn't give us a lot of help here. We, we provided, there is a thumb drive that we provided and we, we uh, that it, there is a, a drive that we provided to the court and we cited to the exact time as to when this communication occurred. It's also in Ms. Glaze's affidavit where she describes what was discussed. Okay. I don't I, think that... I read, I mean, I read, I'm a, I'm a document person. You give me a thumb drive and the odds of me reading it before oral argument are slim and none. And that's why we provided it to you in our, in our brief in citing to exactly where to find the... the now I, then I've got a 35-page transcript, I guess, from the appellant. And I don't think there's anything that's different than what's in that affidavit. How do I, how do I correlate? Your, your sites and, and what I'm reading. Because it, through Mr. Howe's own deposition testimony where he said there's nothing in the affidavit that was inaccurate or my, misstated. My problem is the long paragraph before the description of the meeting in the affidavit contains a lot of these things that um, Anderson apparently uh, uh, told law enforcement before the January 24 meeting. Correct. So there isn't that. I don't know which, which we're talking about, and I don't know what the corroboration of those earlier conversations was, other than, I guess, affidavits. There is corroboration through their reports that show what was corroborated throughout the investigation. Uh, that's been cited in our brief. It's also been cited with, the, with respect to the affidavit, and that's undisputed. I thank you for your time. I'm, I'm uh, into Mr. Nikolai's time, uh, and I'll defer to him. Thank you. Mr. Nikolai, morning. Thank you, Your Honor. <clears throat> I'm Jim Nikolai. I represent the state defendants in this case, Steve Gilpin and Scott Kraft. I'd first like to make a point about 
the splitting argument time. Um, political subdivisions are represented by the North Dakota Insurance Reserve Fund. You, you don't have to. You, okay. No, you don't have to go there. So this, Mr. Thompson, or Mr. Godstead can't speak for the state defendants, and I can't speak for the county defendants. But I will uh, reserve my comments to what I think are the important distinctions or the, the, the argument that's most relevant to the state defendants. And that is that Mr. Thompson wants this court to extend liability to non-signatories to the arrest warrant based on nothing more that they, that they work with the affiant, their co-workers. And there are no cases that go that far, even the cases that he cites. And this court said in Cooper that we are not extending liability. The second point that I'd like to make has to do with qualified immunity. Mr. Thompson has never made an attempt to show facts, cases that with fa similar facts to this case for purposes of qualified immunity. And there's a whole list of, of those types of, of um, facts that he would have to show. We have independent evidence of the crime through the jailhouse letters or the conspiracy. We have multiple corroborating facts of Mr. Anderson that he provided. And we have the crime caught on tape. And we have co-defendants to the conspiracy pleading guilty. There's no evidence whatsoever that uh, either Ms. Glaze as the affiant or anyone else had actual knowledge of the information that to as far as what isn't really criminal background but goes beyond his criminal background. And for purposes of qualified immunity for my clients, we have non, their non-signatories to the arrest warrant affidavit. So you'd have to find a case with all those things that are similar to this case and then have uh, courts say it's clearly established that all those facts still add up to uh, a Fourth Amendment violation. The bottom line in this case is that what's the best way to protect an individual's Fourth Amendment rights when you, you know, irrespective of whether you have doubts about uh, credibility or not, make him wear a wire. That's what happened in this case. They made him wear a wire. And apologize to the court if we made it difficult to follow, but um, there is no difference between the full transcript and the parts of the transcript that matter. We provided a thumb drive to the court. We provided timestamps to the court that have the relevant parts. Mr. Howe, instead of in a situation where you have a criminal defense attorney knowing clients are conspiring to, to kill somebody or harm them, saying, wait, wait, wait a minute. You guys can't do that. And you can't be telling me about that. And I can't be advising you. What does he say? Well, should we do it five days before trial? Yeah, no, you don't want to do that because it makes it look suspicious. Mr. Howe, there's no fabrication here. The evidence against Mr. Howe came straight out of Mr. Howe's mouth. And I, I agree, Hartman controls this. Tangway, Tangway was a case where officers had serious doubts and did nothing. The officers did more than nothing here. They made him wear a wire. They corroborated numerous independent facts. Um, this, this is not a did-nothing case. 
irrespective of whether a background check was run or not. And we'd ask the court to affirm the district court. Thank you. Thank you. For rebuttal. In our, in our reply brief, we go through and specifically cite the relevant portions of the transcript uh, and also the audio. Uh, page three of our reply brief, by the way, the transcript is a 1006, Rule 1006 summary of the audio recording. Audio, uh, the transcript was made by defense counsel. Everybody agrees it's accurate. And it can be tested. Its accuracy can be tested by looking at, by listening to the, uh, the audio. We're fine with the audio. I would urge this panel to listen to the audio. Uh, well, Mr. Well, well, let me ask you this. Um, as I understand under Hartman and a whole litany of cases before Hartman, in order for you to succeed, you have to show that facts that would have made probable cause uh, or would have th that the affidavit was either inaccurate or omitted facts that would have would have um, resulted in a finding that there was no probable cause for the arrest warrant are there any facts that were omitted from the affidavit other than the schemes and I think it was Wisconsin where where uh, mr. Anderson had uh, come up with a similar type of, of stories? Uh, Your Honor, y yes. There was no reference to, to Anderson's criminal history. In the, none, zero, in the affidavit. And looking at uh, page 57 of our appendix, volume one, Mr. It, it's only what Mr. Anderson disclosed, self-disclosed, if one compares the criminal history that was done, actually based on a triple I, that um, uh, uh, Ms. Whalen did in March, more than a month after Mr. Howe had been charged, you'll see that there were far more uh, uh, charges than these, uh, admittedly, Rule 609 type offenses of theft by swindle, false representation, check forgery, bigamy, aggregated, aggravated forgery. Uh, we're okay. I'm okay with Hartman, Your Honor. I understand you were on that panel, and, and I respect that. But I want to first of all say, and I get three seconds, can I finish the thought? Of course. Thank you. Uh, there's nothing unusual about, about uh, Hartman. And we discuss, beginning at page 24 of our brief, why Hartman does not foreclose our argument. In no way does Franks authorize an officer or law enforcement officers, affiants, to have a no account practice, uh, uh, no account uh, ostrich like uh, uh, behavior and practice by when they're advised of these uh, Rule 609 crimes and then they say they did a, that they did a background check because there's simply because there's an FBI number in a box. Okay, right. if that's now the I, case, they I, would now, have known now, all that. Now you're making they would have known all that. Thank you, Your Honor, for all your indulgence. I can say is, Hartman isn't the first time I encountered this. I encountered it probably 20, over 25 years ago in a case called Ozar, the question of omissions in an affidavit and when do they defeat a warrant. So Hartman is, Hartman is the, uh, the tail of a long Four. dog. 
Sure, but what they did know, just what they did know, if they did an FBI uh, uh, background check, and just based on his self-reporting. I understand, I understand that. I mean, they knew that. That's what they actually knew. So we don't need what they, what they wait, should what, have done. Wait, 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 what did they actually know? They actually knew they that. They didn't know the triple I information. They well, they say that they did an FBI background check because there's an FBI n number in a box. Uh, What's in it? That's your obligation and discovery. All right. Your Honor, nobody had it. Case is submitted. Nobody Thank had you. the FBI report. Thank you. Well, that's, the the that's, defendants did. That's Hartman.